Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. I'm your host Dominic Booth. I'm delighted to be joined by a very smart looking Samuel Luckhurst. Nice to have you back, Dom. I, I, as I said to you, I'm, I'm like Ole. I'm, I'm trying to bring the suits back, put a smile on people's faces and have, have an impact in the short term, but maybe not the long term, but we, we, we shall see. <laughs> I think it's just because because um, I'm back on the podcast, to be honest. Um, I'm also joined by Tyro Marshall. Hello, how are we doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Very good. Yeah. Uh, obviously looking ahead to... Manchester United's game against Everton this weekend, also talking about the managerial situation, um, which is all anyone really seems to to want to talk about uh, regarding United at the moment. Um, Samuel, a lot of a lot of news this week. I was going to do that such thing that that's BBC reporter said, where a lot of things have been said, none of it news. But there have been some there have been some emergencies about to Eric Ten Hag now seeming the the clear front runner for the for the role. Um, how do you see the managerial situation and when can fans expect an announcement or, or some sort of confirmation? I'd be amazed if Ten Hag isn't the United manager this season. It's it's, it's that advanced now, um, speaking to people, that the feeling is that, that that is going to happen. Something drastic would have to occur for it not to happen now. In, as far as an announcement is concerned, uh, you know, I think... All of us, when we you know, write stories, we're, we're reluctant to put a time frame on things, and I think it's pretty pointless as well. It's guesswork. I think the certainly going back a few years, um, I think we, we, some of us who are writing about Alvaro Morata, a colleague anyway, was writing about Alvaro Morata. But during that time, where it looked like he was going to United in Spain, it was always it's happening in forty eight hours, it's happening in twenty four hours, and of course, it never happened at all because United signed Lukaku. So that's when, when it comes to time frames, I always refer back to that. But it, it might be similar to what happened with Mourinho in twenty sixteen. In the there's there's an official announcement in in late May. I don't really see the rush to put an official announcement out there. Again, I think I've said this about three or four podcasts running, but I actually going for the title and they're going for, uh, they're, they're playing PSV Eindhoven in the final of the Dutch Cup as well. So they're not going to want any official distractions, but of course this this was always going to happen that people would write stories um, about Ten Hag uh, just, just becoming the front runner. That's been going on for the last four weeks now. I think that was when there was certainly a shift and that probably then Pochettino was just about the front runner and then, it changed to Ten Hag, and Ten Hag's just been gaining momentum. He's had his interview. Um, you know, I, I think that the feeling is that it, it is basically done, uh, but it's not done until, of course, the, the club have confirmed it. There's always something that can that can change there. But the feeling, speaking to people, is that he will be the United manager next season, and it's it's, it's almost a little bit torturous now because I think it's so inevitable that it will be Ten Hag that we've. You know, what, what's the next? Coffin's bit that we're going to have to write about on it. Yeah, it seems the the fan the fans' preference tie has been Ten Hag for some time now, and that has really taken sway over the past few weeks. And I, I have been wondering how much that has maybe played into United's thinking when when making this decision, because it has seemed a pretty binary decision between uh, Pochettino or Ten Hag. What do you think about that? And is it is it purely a positive thing that the fans seem to be getting what they want? Um, I mean, United will say it, it, it hasn't had any impact, of course, but it's certainly, you know, it's been pretty clear on, on social media and speaking from even match-going fans that Ten Hag is, has got the overwhelming support. I think 
I mean, a huge part of that is the vast majority of these, you know, a lot of the people who, who support Ten Hag, if you ask them to explain why his IX team is so good, they probably wouldn't be able to do it. It's there's a there's a big element here. There's obviously some who would have seen IX play and, and know in detail how he operates and stuff. But there's an also a big element of he's the unknown, isn't he? He's the exciting unknown because we don't know a great deal about him. None of us really watch, you know. I mean, I've not watched an of easy game all season. I don't. I'm not even sure it's on British telly. So none of us can be proclaiming to have watched Ajax in detail against go-ahead Eagles and, and FC20 and Fortuna Sittard and whoever else. We've seen you him well to name League. that many uh, Dutch clubs. <laughs> I was yeah. running out of steam there. I don't know where Sittard, Fortuna I'm surprised you didn't go to from. PSV Eindhoven earlier, but well done. Yeah. Um, so none of us can claim to have watched those games in detail. We've, we've seen him in the Champions League and he's produced two very exciting Champions League teams, albeit they should have got further this season. They shouldn't have lost to that Benfica game. But he is, he's the unknown choice. It feels like we know more about Pochettino. We've seen him in the Premier League. We know what he can do. We've perhaps become a little bit bored of him, I guess. Um, you know, we've seen him at PSG and it's not been particularly successful there. Although I wouldn't count that against him. But Ten Hag is, is just the unknown choice, isn't he? But, you know, his teams, his teams undoubtedly play exciting football. You only have to look at their Champions League group stage record to see that. The, the results they had, those six wins were phenomenal given the competition they had in that group. But it, it's just a, it's such a big step up. And that concerns me that going from Ajax to, to United is just such a huge, huge step up. And I I spoke to Tuckroy for his book launch a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about the personality you need to, to manage this club. And, and he used to phrase, it can eat you alive. And it really can. And it's eating bigger managers than Eric Ten Hag alive. Um, so there's always that risk and it just feels, you know, you look at the history of managing United. I mean, what, basically two managers have been successful here, haven't they? You know, the, the odds are against you. They've had two managers who've won 18 of the 20 titles and the other ones came before the first world war. The, the other managers have been fundamentally failures, I guess, you know, some of them have won trophies like Mourinho, um, you know, Tommy Doherty built a good, exciting team. Well, before my time, obviously, but, Fundamentally, it's it been proven to be an impossible job by far more people than have been successful here. Busby and Ferguson cracked it. But the thing they had in common was that they controlled the whole club, basically. They were huge, dominant personalities. And I don't know, it just feels something about the club. It just almost makes it unmanageable. And, and Ten Hag, you know, certainly doesn't seem to have that character. So it just feels like a, a big risk as well. Samuel, my next question was going to be actually for you, Samuel, about the the structure above Ten Hag if and when he comes in. It is absolutely vital that United get it right for him, and otherwise, you know, you can see the same problems repeating themselves, can't you? It's about the role Ralph Rangnick's going to have. It's about how much power Ten Hag's going to have, who who he vetoes as players, transfer targets running by him, all that stuff. That's probably more important than the identity of the manager. Yes, and it, when you when you refer to Ten Hag, you refer to him as a coach. You don't refer to him as a manager, and that don't, that might not seem particularly important. But United have always been of the uh, the thinking that the manager should be the manager, and that that's a big aspect. That that's that's a massive challenge for Ten Hag because none of us can confidently say he's got the character and the clout to run that dressing room to you know whip these bunch of serial underachievers in, in, into shape. 
and they really need someone who's got character. I think, if anything, the character side is more important than the coaching. And that's why, you know, Pochettino certainly appealed to that to that level and that he, he has managed egos, not just at PSG, but Tottenham as well. Different personalities, some you know, some real extroverts and that his man management is, is a big part of why he's been such a good coach over the last six or seven years. And with Ten Hag, I mean, Ty said about it, the, the leap... The Ajax team at the weekend had five Premier League rejects in it. I know Daley Bling was one of them, and there'll be some United fans saying, how can you say Daley Bling was a Premier League reject? He was a decent player for United, but he still, after four years, went back to Ajax. And at that point, you thought, why is he going back to Ajax? He's, he's, a, he's a pretty good player. He's, he's very skillful. He can play in a variety of roles. He could. It wouldn't have been... I don't think he'd have necessarily looked out of place in Barcelona's uh, squad at, at that stage. But he went back to Ajax and that Ajax team at the weekend had Davy Klassen, who was an absolute dud at Everton and is now keeping Donny van der Beek out of the, the, the Dutch squad and went back to Ajax to replace Donny van der Beek. Uh, Steven Bergwis had, I forgot they even played for Watford. Um, Sebastian Haller obviously was a complete flop at West Ham. I think West Ham made a 20-odd million pound loss on him. They, they signed 45 million and sold him. Sorry, they signed him for 45 million, they sold him for 20 million. And Dusan Tadic has been excellent for Ajax, and he was, a, he was a pretty good player at Southampton, but he didn't last long at Southampton, he went back to Ajax. And there aren't a lot of Manchester United fans online, I'd, I'd say the, the online fans, who are aware of that. They just see Ten Hag, and I think some of them see him, see that he's bald, see that he's got a beard, see that he wears quite casual clothing and trainers at times and things oh man, he looks like Pep Guardiola and he's, he's, he's coached these two pretty good teams. He, he might be like Pep Guardiola. I suspect he won't be. He's got merit in managing United. He absolutely deserved to be on the shortlist. It's, it's, he was worthy of interview as well. Um, but I, I've always been quite consistent in thinking that Pochettino is more, is more suited to managing United because he's, although he's not necessarily assembled... Uh, a team as impressive as that Ajax side in, in 2018-19. Uh, the Tottenham team he still had was, even though they won nothing, I thought, in 2017, they were probably the best team in the Premier League as far as the first eleven was concerned. But again, we can't beat about the bush with Pochettino. He, his aura has been diminishing for the best part of the last four years, and he may not be the same manager he was previously. We've said all this before, but, uh, you know, the only shred of sympathy I have with United is the timing of the World Cup, because if it was a summer World Cup, then they should have been moving heaven and earth for, for Luis Enrique. But even with Enrique, you've got the caveat of someone who hasn't coached at club level for, for five years. And you know, I, I'm not convinced, you know, laying my cards on the table, I'm not convinced that Ten Hag will be the manager to make United champions again. And ultimately, that is the kind of manager that they need to, to look for. Maybe that manager isn't out there. Maybe they are just, you know, they're done for while Guardiola and Klopp are managing in the Premier League. Fortunately for United, Guardiola, this might be his penultimate season at City. I think Klopp's contracted to Liverpool, is it, until 2025? Um, so they might have to, to wait a little longer there. And some, you know, there can be a levelling off with teams. Liverpool felt it last season, albeit under strange circumstances. But they've got to get a lot right beyond the manager for them to become a credible force anytime soon. Um, otherwise, they, they might be staring down the barrel of 
another another five barren years without the title. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with with pretty much all of that, really, especially uh, the gamble that Ten Hag is. I suppose another gamble that United have to take. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the gamble again, Tyrone, is the squad that he's going to have. I mean, we, we've not really got a, a a clear picture of how many of the current squad are going to be staying, who's going to be going, how many you know feasible signings can United actually make in the summer uh, to give Ten Hag a, a fresh looking squad. Uh, these are all huge questions. You know, more caveats, I suppose, to whether a new manager can be successful. It, it could be 12 players leaving in the summer or, or there could be three or four. You know, it's it's an unknown at the moment. It is, yeah. I mean, he does. He seems to be the type of... Uh, Sam refers to him there as you think of him as more of a coach than than a manager. And he does... He fits that kind of head coach's record at Ajax shows he can improve players. Samuel mentioned the, the Premier League rejects there. I mean, partly they've improved at Ajax because the league's much easier, but it does feel like Ten Hag gets, you know, he he improves players on the training ground. And I think that could benefit a lot of the players currently at United. Um, you know, a lot of a lot have dropped off a cliff this year. And it's, you know, it's a real balancing act between players who played well last year, who aren't playing well this year, and how it, how it affected them playing behind closed doors and that kind of thing. But, you know, it'd be no surprise if someone like Luke Shaw improves consistently under Ten Hag. You know, it feels like the squad clearly needs improvement. I think Ragnick said two or three transfer windows last weekend. I mean, that might be stretching it, but it, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if he did find improvement in players and if players that a lot of, a lot of fans have written off this season suddenly come back next season and, and improve. So I think that's the one thing United haven't really had this season. Solskjaer never really provided that proper structure it was all a little bit freewheeling at times um it feels like the players have never really bought into Ranić so I think if if Ten Hag comes in there's obviously going to be a good pre-season there's going to be a decent pre-season tour for him to get his idea the the one possibility I think is that he could improve players going into next season and and that will obviously be a benefit to United Yeah, well, there's plenty to play for, I guess, not just the top four between now and the end of the season, uh, Samuel. Eight games United have got to to finish in the top four. Personally, I, I'm not sure how much of a difference that actually makes whether United finish in the top four. I know club revenue and, and Champions League pedigree and all that sort of stuff, but um, the players between now and that final game, there's a lot that, that need to show up, right? There's a lot that needs to show, even if it's under Ralph Rannick, interim or not, that they've got big futures at United under under Eric Ten Hag next season. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I did a piece this morning suggesting that you you might have a better idea of which players really do want to stay next season because the, the identity of the manager is is pretty much out there now. It's it's not concealed. It's not um, it's not unknown. I wouldn't say. And you take Luke Shaw for an example. Unfortunately for him, he's he's got this. Um, this problem with the operation he had in, in 2015, he's having to have uh, some, some, I think, metal bolts removed from it. So he's not going to play for the next two or three weeks. But if he was playing and amid the talk of him, you know, maybe getting a new contract because technically he's out of contract next year. How, how much does he want, how much does he want it really? Because this is a player who is very much aligned with, with Pochettino who uh, contributed to Pochettino's book in 2017. I think it was an afterward. And, and saying how much he wanted to play for Pochettino again. 
So is, is he going to be up for it as much now that it's almost certainly not going to be Pochettino who's the United manager next season, that it's going to be Ten Hag, um, which which players have, have got, you know, really looking forward to working with Ten Hag. There, there are some in that dressing room that are supportive of the decision, but there are others who find him underwhelming. And it's not difficult to put yourself in the, in the mindset of one of those players in that dressing room because of how... Just, just because of the egos in there and the inflated opinion they have for themselves and how precious they are, that they demand the very best. And, okay, Ten Hag is not... You can't say he's a world-class coach, but United can't attract a, a world-class coach at, at this stage. Um, the, 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 that calibre of candidate is is not out there. And there are very, very few um, coaches who, who are worthy of, of that, that, that status as well. But... It has it has to work both ways. I mean, the, the players have got to have got to help the next coach when he when he comes in. As I said, you know, I say the next coach, it almost certainly will be Ten Hag, and and some will be eager to do that because there are some players that absolutely for certain are going to be United players next season. But those players who who are considering their futures and everybody knows who they are, um, and these are the players who are under contract, not not the ones who are going to be out of contract in, in a couple of months' time. It will be interesting to see what their body language is like, whether they look galvanised, whether they, they really look up for it because, I mean, the the, the way they were playing against Leicester last week, they, they were fortunate to, to get a draw. And when you're playing like that and you're only three points off, off fourth to qualify for the Champions League, you, they shouldn't need much motivating. It's You've either got Thursday nights off next season or you've got the drudgery of Thursday nights where some of you might not be playing, but you'll still be on the bench against Zoria Luhansk or whoever it may be. And, and these teams that seem to get made up just to play in the Europa League. Um, unfortunately, that's that's on the players. There are some players there whose reputations are on the line because they, they are synonymous with this lean period in United's history. Talk about being galvanised and body language, Samuel. A penny for Donny van der Beek's thoughts if uh, if Eric Sanhag comes in? Well, uh, there'll, there'll be a bit more on that um, later on from the embargoed section of, of the press conference. But obviously, you know, logically, you'd think that van der Beek has a chance. But again, we've kind of already touched upon it. You can't go off guy's performances more than two years ago in the Dutch league, you've you've got to consider what he's done at United and he's done next to nothing really. And there, there's mitigation for that. Solskjaer didn't manage him well, but when Van der Beek did have chances, I think all of us thought that Villarreal away would be a breakthrough moment for him, given that he played really well in the second half at Watford a few days earlier, but he didn't take his chance. And, and three managers now at United to, to very varying levels of experience um, thought that there were better options uh, ahead of him and certainly if going into I think the way Fred has performed in recent months it's, it's getting to the point that he just has to start in the first game of next season um, it'll be interesting to see what Ten Hag does with him because Fred's obviously I think he's been a much more productive player playing a little bit further forward and of course United intend to have a defensive a new defensive midfielder holding the fort for that first game for next season. Yeah, you can certainly expect Fred to be starting uh, against Everton on Saturday, Tyrone. As Samuel mentioned, Luke Shaw out of that one. Uh, Rafael Varane again missing. Edison Cavani again missing. Uh, and Scott McTominay. Um, 
how do you expect United to, to line up in this game? Uh, it's it's one of those ones where you think United should be winning this. Everton are, are well out of form, really, really struggling under Frank Lampard. But you still can't really envisage a way that United win it easily. Um, that's how I see it anyway. What do you think of it and how, how they'll approach the game? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to commit myself to predicting United win at the moment, that's for certain. Um, I was something we were joking in, in midweek about how flimsy Everton were against Burnley and how Ranyak had again called out United's physicality last week. You know, it could be a bit of um, after you, no after you at the weekend. But, I mean, it should be a chance for United to to, to prove Ranyak wrong. They couldn't have wished for a better fixture to actually turn up and, and show a bit of physicality. And while the atmosphere will obviously be pretty good at the start at Goodison Park. No set of fans turn as quickly or as vociferously as Everton's. And if United get on top in the first or in the first 20 minutes, then the crowd will turn on Everton very quickly because they always do. And they're obviously in a mess and the relationship between players and team there is not good at the moment. So a, a fast start from United would certainly benefit them. There's not been many of them this season. But like you say, it's just, it, it's hard to commit to the idea of United winning because... You know, Sean Dyche had a hard time of that Burnley-Everton game in midweek that Everton had forgotten how to win. But you can imagine Lampard would be saying almost a similar thing to, to his players beforehand in that United have almost forgotten how to play well and that they can be got at and every other team is getting at them. So why can't Everton? And it does, you know, it. it's just, you look at those fixtures and you can all, you can make a case for United, you know, only winning two, two or three more games this season the way they are playing and they've just got to improve this Obviously, on paper, this should be a United win. But conversely, if it's Everton who start well and Everton who take the lead, have United got it within themselves to, to respond at the moment? Probably not. Um, and those, you know, with those injuries, the team almost picks itself. The one that I find absolutely baffling is is Jesse Lingard and how he's not got barely got a look in all season. I think he's done it twice since that assist against the Real when he was on a real. You know, he was making an impact off the bench every week then. He started the most meaningless game of the season since against Young Boys and against Leeds. And he's watching Marcus Rashford play every week, either from the start or off the bench, despite the fact he's been awful for months on end. Um, he's watching Pogba, who's out of contract, and he's going through the motions, start ahead of him. And it just feels baffling the way he's been treated. And for a team who, who are lacking energy and physicality, as Ranić says so often, the one thing Lingard can bring is a bit of energy. All right, he's not going to get stuck in and start sliding into tackles, but he always, it feels like he always lifts players around him when he's in the team. He can link play pretty well. I just find it bizarre that he's not played and I would start Lingard. I don't think he will. And I think we could probably predict 10 of the 11 that will start. The only question is probably Rashford or Alanga on the right. Beyond that, it feels like a pretty predictable team. Yeah, I think it's easier, obviously easier said than, than done Samuel at this stage of the season, but is it worth Rangnick throwing in a few of the youngsters, you know, He's sort of been promising Hannibal Mejbury some game time for a while now, and it, it hasn't quite arrived. And even with someone like Alejandro Garnacho, who's been impressing in the in the youth cup run, are these realistic possibilities? We might see them before the end of the season. It, it seems like an easy win for for Rangnick really to to give some of these youngsters a platform, and and it's, it's hardly like the first team is a are keeping them out on on merit at the moment. No, that's that's right. I, I think Garnacho, it wouldn't surprise me if he's on the bench against Everton. He's he's been training with the first team this week, given that they've got four absences this weekend. It's it's not a particularly big squad after the, the players um 
that they, that they allowed to leave in January as well. And when you factor in that 25-man squad, I think it was what it was whittled down to in the end. Three of them were goalkeepers. So I, I'd, I'd imagine Mejbury should certainly be on the bench at Goodison. And I think there's a decent chance that Garnacho will be as well, although United will have quite a few attacking options. I mean, Matter and Lingard, one of Rashford and Langer will be on the bench. So there are options there. But then again, you go to the Leicester game and I know Lingard was, was vomiting during the game, not able to come on. But Mata rang it, didn't bother turning to, maybe turning to Garnacho, that unknown quantity element. Might might be to United's uh, benefit. It might pay off like like it did with Makeda all those years ago, albeit a much more uh, high pressure occasion because they were going for the league then. Um, w- when there's something to play for, it's it's unlikely that a manager's just going to you know put Joe, Charlie McNeil, Joe Hugh, or Alvaro Fernandez all these players in. I think if anything, I think Alvaro Fernandez is probably more deserving than most of being in with a shout for game because Tellez has just been so. So often he's just so nondescript. He just doesn't look like a player who has the belief that he's ever going to be um, the, the favoured left back at United as long as Luke Shaw's there. And Luke Shaw's had a pretty dismal season. So it doesn't say a lot for, for Alex Tellers' mentality, but he was pretty much signed as a squad player in the first place. Um, but as I said, you, you even saw it in, in the denouement to, to Solskjaer's first season where... Champions League qualification was up for grabs up until that dreadful draw at Huddersfield and the penultimate weekend. He he wasn't throwing in kids or anything. I think it was only Mason Greenwood on the final day of the season when he made his full debut. And going back to the PSG game earlier that season, when, when Chong and Greenwood came on, that was because of the was it 10 or 11 players were absent. So uh, although a lot of fans will probably be clamouring for McNeil, Garnacho, um, some of the others, maybe some of the other youth uh, youth cup players to come in, I still think they'll be at a minimum as far as the bench at Everton is concerned. Yeah, I mean, I guess looking at the table, United are still only three points off, off fourth place tie. Yeah. There's eight games to go. And and that race is really anyone's to, to take. Spurs, Arsenal, West Ham have all got probably as many flaws as United really, haven't they? So it isn't actually unfeasible. And I think Rangnick enforce this message in Tini's press conference. It, it's perfectly possible United go on a, a decent run for the last eight games and, and get fourth place. And they might say that they've salvaged something from the season if they do that. Yeah, it, it is still achievable. Obviously, it, it did feel on, on Saturday when they drew with Leicester that it was gone, but Arsenal's defeat to Palace has, has given them fresh hope. I, I mean, I think they're... Even, even allowing for Arsenal's defeat, I still think United are the ones that haven't got the momentum. I mean, it's hard to remember the last time they really played well. They can't string wins together. What's they've momentum? Real... Yeah, what's momentum? Exactly. I have no idea what exactly. momentum yeah. is with United this and year. And they've got, they've simply got to win against Everton and Norwich, considering after that they've got Liverpool away and Arsenal away. So six points out of these next two games is an absolute must. Otherwise, it is gone. Um, Arsenal, I mean, Arsenal slip up on Monday was very Arsenal. And you wonder how that would affect them for the rest of the season. But Tottenham are flying under Conte. It looks like they're picking up form at the right time. They were unlucky to lose at Old Trafford really recently. Um, but yeah, it is still achievable. There's clearly the talent in the United squad to suddenly find form and go on a run. But then we've been saying that all season and it still hasn't happened. Um, so at the moment, it's clearly as, as, as negative sounding as we are. And that's purely based on recent performances. It is still feasible. It is still possible. So they have to still go for it. So... There might be a couple of youngsters on the bench purely because of squad circumstances, but it has to be the strongest team because these 
these two games are winnable. I mean, they should be beating Everton and Norwich. If they don't take some of these games, then they don't deserve to be in the Champions League, and they won't be. Um, but they'll, they'll stay in the fight. They can stay in the fight. We want them to stay in the fight. Um, so, you know, hopefully they can go there and, and turn up and and put on a performance. They, they have been given a lease of life, certainly by events this week. But unless they start playing better, it just ain't going to happen, whether the gap's three points or not. They're, they're just on, on current performances. If they play like they have been doing for the next eight games, they won't be finishing in the top four. Well, given that uh, optimistic ish note that we finished the podcast on there and the fact that Ty said he didn't want to make a prediction Samuel doesn't like predictions anyway I'm not going to ask you for predictions we'll just see what happens um so I just say thank you very much to uh, you Samuel and you Ty for coming on today's podcast thank you John good to have you back it's been lovely to be back um and we'll be back for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast after the weekend where we'll review the Everton game and give you the latest on the managerial situation But from the three of us, that's all we've got time for. Thanks for listening. See you later.